Shabbat Shalom. Mm, I have the honor of um, introducing Rabbi Russ Resnick to you today. And um, Russ encountered Yeshua um, in the early 70s, somewhere in the mountains of northern New Mexico. Um, I was thinking today that perhaps those mountains might not even exist anymore um, or were in Russ's imagination. But in any account, he came to the Lord um, at a time when many young Jewish believers um, started to find each other. And I was fortunate um, to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico at that time and meet um, Russ in 1977, where he was working at, a, I think, a drug rehab clinic. And um, that was a very fitting foundation for someone who would go on to help build Messianic Judaism into the radical worldwide faith community that it is today. Russ is known as a rabbi to rabbis within Messianic Judaism, which means if you're a rabbi and you have a problem or you just want to talk, you can go to Russ. Um, but he has served um, as executive director of the UMJC for 17 years and um, brought quite a bit of stability um, to the union, um, which we're benefiting from today. And um, he also serves as a spokesman for Messianic Judaism in both the Jewish and Christian worlds. He's an author of several books, and he contributes regularly to a number of um, very good publications that we should be reading. Um, his wife, Jane, um, and he are grandparents, um, and Russ maintains a counseling um, and mental health practice in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, even to today. So why did we invite Russ Resnick to speak to us? Because he's an encourager, and um, he's a man of vision, and we need vision, and he desires to impart that vision to us. And um, so I just encourage us to listen to him and see what it is that God is saying to us as a community um, of Jewish believers, because um, he's gifted our brother Russ Resnick to speak to us. Well, Shabbat Shalom. That was a very generous uh, introduction and not a little bit intimidating. So, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, wow. Thank you. So when, I, um, when Yeshua invaded our lives, it was 1972 in the fall. I don't know the date because we didn't keep dates back then, but we knew what season we were in. And uh, what about a, within about a year, I think, uh, Ahavat Zion was founded, 1973 about a year later, and uh, in those early years, the, the first few years of my life with Yeshua, um, we really struggled with, you know, how do, we, how do we follow Yeshua and still be Jewish? In fact, one of the things that happened on the very night that uh, we initially prayed to receive Yeshua to recognize him as the Lord and the Messiah uh, I was really surprised that that was true, but I saw that that was true. But I also was surprised that my my Jewish identity became much more important to me that that night than it had been when I was like a universal man kind of hippie um, out there. 
so we struggled. How do we do this? How do we, how do we bear witness? This is the calling of Messianic Judaism, as I understand it, to bear witness, to be with and for Yeshua among our people, among our Jewish people, to be with Yeshua, for Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah, and to bear witness to be a sign, to be evidence, to be present with the presence of Messiah Yeshua among our people. And that includes talking to people about Yeshua, which in the Jewish world, as you all know, is, uh, is not always easy. So for many years, we've learned that uh, there, are, there are barriers which we understand well among our people to Yeshua. Even if we say Yeshua instead of Jesus, it's still tough. What I've found, though, in uh, recent years, and this is more on the topic of my, my message, which is on Parashat Vayera, is that in recent years, it's become even tough even to talk about God, period. You know, put, put Yeshua aside, even, even raising the issue, the reality of God, even among our Jewish people, as well as beyond, is uh, in many cases is, is kind of a non-starter with people, or at least that's how it begins as a non-starter. And I've been uh, thinking about that and writing about that lately. And a couple weeks ago, a colleague <clears throat> sent me uh, an editorial, an op-ed piece from the New York Times of all places, with the title, It's Getting Harder to Talk About God. It's Getting Harder to Talk About God. I won't say, do I hear an amen? That wouldn't be decorous in this congregation, but you all know it's true. It's getting harder to talk about God just in the general world. So the writer of the op-ed says, <clears throat> "Excuse me, more than 70% of Americans identify as Christian, but you wouldn't know it from listening to them. An overwhelming majority of people say that they don't feel comfortable speaking about God most of the time. So that, that is true. How do we speak about God? How do we use the language uh, of God, of God talk? How do, we, how do we use terms like sin and redemption, soul and spirit, without just kind of dumbing them down to be, become meaningless? How do we communicate with the world around us that is increasingly uh, turned off to ideas of God? The, the author of, the, uh, of this article is, is a believer, is a Christian, and he challenged fellow believers among his readers to work together to revive sacred speech and rekindle confidence in the vocabulary of faith. To revive sacred speech. So our father Abraham had a similar challenge. Uh, not so much to revive sacred speech, but to initiate it. And he lived in a world that, uh, like ours, was turned off to language about God, or at least in their, in their case, language about a one single true God. It's, a, it's obviously a different culture, but a similar challenge. And Abraham's story demonstrates a balance that we need today. It's a balance between uh, having, having the goods, knowing who God is, having God present, being secure in God, but not becoming so isolated and different and weird with that 
that you lose the ability to engage with the culture around you. Do you see that balance? You see it in in Abraham's life right from the outset, or at least from uh, his initial calling in uh, Lech Lecha last week. The Lord calls him out of his country, of his tribe, of his father's house. He's separate. He's the only man on earth hearing the voice of God. But at the same time, God says, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So he's separate, he's distinct, he's unique, as we believe we are in Messiah Yeshua. But he also has this profound, millennial-long influence upon the world around him. How do we find that kind of balance? Well, that was last week's uh, parasha Lech Lecha. Go forth and... uh, Rabbi Barakiah, one of the rabbis of the Midrash, has a commentary on Lech Lecha. Now, a lot of times the Midrashic commentaries don't start with the verse that they're going to comment on. As you're reading Midrash, you'll get used to this. You know, they're going to, they're going to comment on a verse, but they're going to get to it at the end of their little sermonette. So he begins his, his commentary with a phrase from the Song of Solomon that says, thine ointments have a goodly fragrance. Thine ointments have a goodly fragrance. And he comments, what did Abraham resemble? He was like a flask of ointment, a flask of myrrh that was sealed tightly and set in a corner so that its fragrance was not disseminated. But as soon as it was taken up and unsealed, Its fragrance was disseminated. The fragrance of the ointment spread through all the world around him. In the same way, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Abraham, travel from place to place and your name will become great in the world. And therefore he said to him, lech lecha, get going, get you hence, so that your fragrance can spread. So Avraham had started his story in Lech Lecha, and this week in Vayera, he has three encounters with outsiders that show how he influences, how he engages, or at least, I shouldn't say how he does it, but that make it possible for him to engage with the world around him. So we're going to take a very quick dash through those three encounters to see what I call Abraham's rules of engagement. And, uh, you know, rules of engagement comes from the military world. It it guides uh, military action, how the army, the military is supposed to act in in battle. Well, Abraham's rules of engagement are not uh, aiming to conquer or to win, but they're aiming to influence a culture that is... uh, naturally disposed to resist, to push back. So let's see how these rules of engagement work uh, because it applies to us. How do we maintain our distinct calling and identity and still engage with the world around us? Is that a, is that a challenge? Is that relevant? All right, it's relevant to at least one of you here. All right, there we go. Highly relevant. So the first, uh, the first rule comes in Genesis 18, 1 through 5, the opening verses of our uh, 
parasha for the week, which is not where my bookmark is. Here we go. Uh, it's, it's what I call the law or the rule of alertness. So we've read it already. This is where Abraham is sitting in his tent, and uh, which is where God wants him to be, by the way. Let, let's be a little midrashic here. Abraham sitting in his tent signifies he's, he's in the assignment that God had to him to be a sojourner in the land of promise. He's doing what God wants, but he could just kind of sit in his tent and be happy that he's doing what God told him to do, but he's sitting looking out the open door of his tent. And he sees three men and uh, races to serve them. And it says, literally in the, in the parashah, it says, The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men. So the Lord appearing to Av- Avraham came in the form of these three hot, dusty travelers who needed food, water, as we would say in the 21st century, hydration, big time. So Abraham is looking for an opportunity to serve. In, in the rabbinic literature, Abraham is the paragon of hospitality. And in modern America, when we think of hospitality, we think of, you know, tea and cookies or beer and chips. But in the ancient world of that day, hospitality sometimes was a matter of life and death. It was sometimes the difference between uh, starvation or thirst or being attacked by robbers and being kept safe. So Avraham is alert. He's watching for a way to bless and engage the outsider. He's alert. The, the promise that God said through Abraham that you're going, going to be a blessing to all the nations, Abraham's already starting to work on it. He's already being a blessing. That's the first of our rules of engagement, the rule of alertness. This is for us. Watch for opportunities, for openings to bear God's light and blessing to those around us. Watch for the opportunities. Don't wait for, you know... The, the person to bang on your door, but be alert. Be looking out the tent door for opportunities to serve. The second rule is the rule of responsibility. comes a little bit later in Genesis uh, 18. The three men, it turns out, uh, are on their way to, to Sodom, Sodom. And uh, as they get up to leave, Abraham goes and, and walks them, you know, starts them off on their journey like a good host. And uh, they pause, and one of the men begins to speak as Hashem, the Lord himself. And he tells Abraham, actually, uh, we're going to go take a look at at Sodom and see if what we've heard about it is true, because uh, it's time for judgment has come. And what does Abraham do? He, He says, my thoughts and prayers are with you. No, he starts, he argue, he starts to argue, he starts to negotiate with Hashem. Uh, he says in verse 20, 18, 20, Hashem said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before Hashem. 
Then Avraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there's 50 righteous people there? Won't you spare it? And you know the story. It's, a, it's, it's great. It's beautiful. It's kind of funny if it weren't such a, a serious backdrop. Um, Abraham gets the Lord down to 10. If there's 10 righteous, okay, I'll spare it. So, so Abraham argues with God. He, takes a, he has a sense of responsibility for the wicked sodomites down there. In the, uh, there's, a, there's a midrash that compares Abraham with Noah. Remember a couple weeks ago we read the story of Noah. And Noah, says Genesis 6, was a righteous man and perfect in his generations. Why does it say in his generations? It might mean that uh, Noah, in the midst of a wicked generation, managed to stay righteous. But one slant in the uh, Midrash is is in comparison with his generation, he was righteous. Noah was righteous in his generations. Compared to that generation, he looked pretty good, says the Midrash. But if he had been in Abraham's generation he would not have been considered of any importance at all. I didn't say that. The Midrash says it. And the reason is, why is, why is Noah less righteous than Abraham in this reading? Because Abraham, when he heard about judgment to come, began to negotiate, began to plead on behalf of those to be judged. Noah, when he heard about judgment to come, built his ark, got his family in, and waited for God to shut the door and rescue him. So, so Abraham is demonstrating for us the rule of responsibility. And we, I need to be careful in how I put this because sometimes we uh, take on responsibility for stuff that we're not responsible for. Has anybody ever done that? But the, the basic rule is that I'm concerned excuse me, I'm concerned and I care about what's happening to those around me, to my fellow human beings, whether they're my family or in my tribe or in my organization or not. Even those that I know to be in error, I'm concerned and I will, I'm ready to take appropriate action. It's a rule of engagement as a believer in Yeshua. I'm ready to take appropriate action. The rule of responsibility uh, it's, it's the rule that says, don't say, let somebody else worry about it. I'm worried about it. And maybe, you know, maybe I'll decide I can't really do anything. It's not really my place, but I've, I'm engaged enough to care. I'm engaged enough to be concerned about those around me. Third rule, the rule of respect. The rule of respect. This is in uh, chapter 20, and you know the story. Again. Well, I'm assuming you know the story. Uh, it's when Abraham and Sarah go to the area of Gerar, which is among the Philistines. And uh, we're not sure why they go there at this point, but Abraham, um, I hate to say it, but he did it. He told, he told the uh, inhabitants that, that Sarah was, uh, he, she's my sister. He'd already pulled this once in Egypt. Um, you know, to Sarah, he said, tell them you're, you're my sister because if, if they know you're my wife and I'm your husband, they're going to kill me for you. So he does the same thing among the Philistine or the, in Gerar. 
the king, uh, Abimelech, takes Sarah into his household, but God protects her and actually protects him as well. It keeps him, you know, physically he's not able to approach her, or get near, touch her. And uh, then the Lord appears to him in, in a dream and tells him what's going on. So Abimelech goes to Abraham. 20 uh, verse 9. <clears throat> Abimelech called Abraham <clears throat> and he said to him, what have you done to us? <clears throat> Excuse me. What have you done to us? Um, and how have, how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. So Abimelech is saying it would have been a great sin for me to take your wife as my wife. He's the king. You, th- you thought pagan kings d- would do stuff like this all the time. But Abimelech is, a, is um, shocked that this guy would set him up to do this great sin. And uh, he says to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. So Abraham, he is not exemplifying the rule of respect. He's teaching it to us. Well, it's really something that God is showing him that we learn from his life. Don't categorize, don't label the other person. If you want to be able to engage meaningfully for Yeshua with the people around you, don't stick your partisan labels upon them. So Abraham looks at him, pagan, boom, no fear of God, right? And we do the same thing. We write people off. So in the, uh, in the op-ed that I quoted, the author's listing causes for the decline in God talk in our culture And one of the reasons that people say they don't want to hear about God is because they feel put off by how religion has been politicized. Really? I never, I don't see that going on. Religion being politicized? Never. Not here. But, you know, I think that religious Americans are just as bad as everybody else at being polarized, politicized, you know, labeling everybody good, bad, liberal, conservative, right, left. Uh, Republican or Democrat, and then stereotyping and uh, shutting the door of real engagement once we've decided what that person's label is. You know, I'm as as Melissa mentioned, I'm a, a mental health therapist in my spare time, and uh, two or three of my favorite clients are, athe- are, are atheists you know, at least by profession. I think there's something else going on because they liked my profile in the Psychology Today website, and I'm very upfront about who I am, and they came to me anyway. But, you know, a couple of these atheists have profound uh, ideas about ethics, righteousness, even spirituality, even God. The God they don't believe in is pretty uh, well. They've, they've explored a lot. I respect them. I can learn from them, and I'm hoping I can help them. And eventually, I'm not endorsing atheism. I think it's made, you know, it's an error. It's flat out wrong. And yet they're good people. 
go figure. I'm not going to try to go figure. I'm going to try to respect them. That's the law of respect, of engagement. I think, you know, we, uh, everybody complains about how divided things are in this country. And we as followers of Yeshua need to be peacemakers and unifiers, not to fuel the division by careless use of labeling. So the law of respect, or the rule of respect is, don't squeeze the person you encounter into your stereotypes and biases. The law of respect, don't, don't reduce the other person to a label. If we hope to have engagement and influence for Messiah Yeshua. Uh, in the Jewish world, this is really important. We carelessly use the term, one of the labels we use is believer or unbeliever. And we talk about, you know, somebody who's, who's Jewish, practicing Jew, who doesn't believe in Yeshua, so we say he's an unbeliever. That's kind of a derogatory label to use on somebody who might be, you know, attending synagogue regularly, reading Torah, trying to find God to serve God. But we use these labels, and then we increase division. So let's be respecters. Let's respect the, the divine image that's on every person. And let's avoid reducing anyone to the label. So I opened the, uh, <clears throat> with this article about talking about God. Uh, and I haven't really said a lot about talking. And, the, and really the rules of engagement that I'm talking about prepare us. They open the way for God talk. They're not rules about how to talk about God. They're rules about how to engage so that God talk is possible. But let's return, before I wrap it up, I'd like to go back <clears throat> to the first story because I think I need to develop that a little bit better. There's so much going on there. The first story is the opening story of the parasha, and it begins with the word vayera, which means, and, and he appeared, or vayera donai, and the Lord appeared to Abraham. That introduces the story. But when Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked out the door of the tent, what did he see? Three hot, dusty travelers. The Lord appears to Abraham in the form of these three travelers who need food, hydration, some encouragement on their journey. So I, I believe that the, the hint here is that the Lord is showing up in the person of the other, the other person we want to engage. That's the Lord showing up in our lives. That's the Lord appearing and giving us opportunity to, to learn of him and to engage him, to see the divine image upon the other person. The, you know, I mentioned my, one of my atheist clients, who's my favorite client. The Lord has shown up in this guy for me a few times. The Lord he doesn't even believe in yet has appeared and uh, made himself evident. So the, the, the rules, I said the, law, the rule of alertness, being alert, being uh, on the watch for opportunities to serve, but I'm expanding that into the rule of recognition. Prepare to meet God in the person you engage. 
So the rule of responsibility, be, be ready to take action, be concerned on behalf of the other, ready to take action. Abraham's action was kind of parallel to prayer, and that's a legitimate uh, action of responsibility that we can take. There may be a possibility for more, but that's the rule of responsibility, the rule of respect. Don't squeeze the person you encounter into your own stereotypes and biases. And the rule of recognition, prepare to meet God in the person that you encounter. And if that's so, how are we doing in applying these rules? How are we doing with these rules? So Messiah Yeshua told a story, and I'll end with this, um, about what it was going to look like when he came back. And he said that the uh, Son of Man will return in his glory, surrounded by the angelic host, and he'll take his throne and sit upon his throne, and he will, all the nations will be summoned before him. And he will divide the nations up into sheep and goats. Matthew 25. He'll divide the nations up into the sheep and into the goats, Um, He'll send the sheep to his right and to the goats. He'll send the goats to his left. And he'll say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Because when I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the sheep will say, "Uh, there must be a mistake here. We don't remember seeing you in any of these guises. We never never did this for you. Yeshua said, when you did it for the least of my brothers, you did it for me. When you did it for the least among you, you did it for me. So the rule of recognition prepare to meet God in the person that you engage, just as Hashem appeared to Avraham in the heat of the day in in the form of three dusty travelers in need of hospitality, so Messiah Yeshua is likely to appear to us in the least and the neediest among us. May we be alert to his presence. Amen.